Great marketers make decisions based on data and evidence. Rarely will you hear me or any pro marketer express an opinion. You are listening to Louder Than Words, the podcast inspiring creatives of all types by giving you a glimpse into the lives and creative process of the most remarkable people you know. I'm John Benini, and I'm your host. And hello there, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of Louder Than Words, where I'm lucky enough to hang out with some of the most brilliant people in marketing business, uh, some, of the, some of the most fascinating entrepreneurs around, really. My name's John Benini. I'm a conversion copywriter. I have a website where I post about creating copy that, drive ac- that drives action, headlines, button text, emails, all those things. So you can come and check me out there and connect with me. It's at johnbenini.co. And my Twitter handle is at Benini84, so you can come and, and chat with me on there. Today, though, more importantly, we're hanging out with Andy Cressadina, uh, one of my good friends and one of the most brilliant and sought-after voices in content marketing, of which there are plenty. Uh, he's the co-founder and strategic director at Orbit Media Studios, which is a website design and strategy agency based in Chicago. He's also the author of Content Chemistry, which is an illustrated handbook for content marketers. I highly recommend that for anybody that's in a position of creating content for themselves or for the business. You can find that on Amazon. Uh, he also has a survey currently that's out there. We'll have him get into that in a second. Um, for bloggers, it's, it's, it's really not for Andy. It's for any of us that blog because the results when he publishes them help all of us do a better job of blogging. So you should definitely seek that out and we'll have him talk about that in just a sec. Uh, Andy? Great to have you on Louder Than Words, my friend. How's everything going? Things are good. Things are good. Glad to be here. I love your show, and uh, it's an honor to be on. Yeah, absolutely. So tell everybody about, uh, before we get into anything else about this survey, because I know last time we spoke, you still you, you shoot for 1,000 respondents, and you had a couple hundred left to go. So what are we mm-hmm. at now? We're at 806. So 800. probably by the time this goes live, we'll be very close to, if not already there. All right. So um, well, if you're listening, just go out there and I'll put the uh, link in the show notes so you people can find the survey. And it's, it's really quick. What is it, how many questions is it? 11 questions. It takes like a minute and a half. Yeah. So it's definitely worth it. Uh, I've taken it. Uh, lots of people have taken it. It helps really all of us. So wanted to get that out of the way quick. Andy, great to have you here. Um, so like I just mentioned, Orbit Media is out in Chicago. So I have mm-hmm. to ask this first, Cubs or White Sox? Cubs. I'm on the north side, so I'm only about a mile from Wrigley. Uh, I grew up going to the Cubs games. I'm not. I mean, some people are just really intense about that. I'm not anti Sox in any way. I think there's more Sox fans that hate the Cubs than there are Cubs fans who hate the Sox. But uh, I don't know. At least once a year, you got to make it into Wrigley Field and like see it. See a game. Don't commit a time without uh, letting me know. I'm taking you a game, John. Let's go. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So you grew up in Chicago. Suburbs. I was. Uh, I don't really claim to be from the city exactly. It's kind of two different worlds. So uh, Chicago land. They actually call it that. Uh, so I grew up in the suburbs and came down to the city just once or twice a year when I was a kid. But yeah, I'm from the area. I went to college in, in uh, here in the Midwest and uh, have just kind of deep roots here. So I don't want to date you or anything, but you were probably perfect age during the Jordan, the Michael Jordan era, right? In the Chicago Bulls. I was. I was there for all of it. Um, I was born in 72, so I was uh, finished high school in 1990. And so I was like watching all of it all through that. And um, yeah, that was uh, really a magical time. It was incredible. And he was not, I mean, where he lived was, uh, I don't know, less than a mile away from where I live. We were, uh, you know, I grew up on the North Shore. So uh, we used to just drive by his house for fun. And um, I know my brother once did some yard work for him. Uh, <laughs> it, was all, it was all in that area in that time. Nice, nice. And what about blues music? Because I'm a big fan myself in Chicago, you know, Buddy Guy, big, big blues 
uh, you know, following out there. Have you ever gotten into that sort of music or, or gone to any of the, the, the legendary blues clubs out there? Well, for people that don't know, they should know. Uh, John, you are a serious musician in your own right, and <laughs> I've got you on a roundup that hasn't been published yet, but uh, that's how we first got connected, partly. Yep. Um, yep, there is the music scene here is ridiculous. There are so many places to see any kind of music. I don't live too far from the Green Mill, which is blues, jazz, and all kinds of other stuff. Um, Buddy Guys Legends, I've only been there a few times, but once was when Barry Feldman was in town. He, we have a little conference, and he came to speak at that. Uh, and so he and I made it down there, and that was great. Barry is another marketer you probably know. That guy is prolific and a champion at uh, at producing and promoting content. Yeah, everybody, yeah, Feldman Creative. He's he's great. Mm-hmm. Look him up. He, he's a great guy. Um, yeah. So, and and I have to mention, if you're ever out this way again, I know you speak all over the place, but I know Chicago people. I know you guys love your pizza, the deep dish style. Mm-hmm. But right here in Connecticut, in New Haven, uh, you know, obviously I'm a little biased, but I think we have the best pizza, thin crust, Pepe's Pizza in New Haven. There's going to be a lot of people from this area that argue Sally's is better or Modern is better. But if you're ever out this way. I got to take you to Pebby's because I know you probably think your pizza is the best out there in Chicago, but we make a pretty good pie out here too. I'm pretty loyal, but uh, I'm open. I'm open. <laughs> I'll try it for sure. Awesome. So, so describe the path, Andy, that's led you to what you're doing today professionally. Sure. So I had a pretty boring but lucrative job in the 90s. I was an IT recruiter and that was a good time to be doing IT recruiting. 1999 in December, I quit. And in January of 2000, I started building websites. I was the designer. My buddy was the programmer. Uh, interesting, it's easier to find a client than it is to find an employer. So if you have no resume or experience or portfolio for, a, for, a, for something that you want to do, it's starting a company is sometimes the quickest path to get there uh, because no one would have hired me for, as a web designer at the time. Uh, so I started building sites with my friend and partner, Barrett Lombardo. He and I knew each other in high school and we were roommates in college uh, and just kept going. So I've been doing you know, it wasn't long after that that I knew they needed to learn search. So I've been doing SEO since uh, 2001, uh, doing analytics since before the time that there was Google Analytics. That was also in 2000 and 2001. Uh, about eight years ago, all these things kind of converged into content marketing or inbound marketing. So I've been doing uh, blogging and social and email um, in the last seven or eight years. Uh, but the team has grown. There's 38 of us now. We are one of the best known and um, kind of uh, active, you know, in marketing kind of web design companies in Chicago. Um, but yeah, it's just been an, an organic growth path of 10 to 15 to 20% growth per year. Uh, we're up to, it'll be four and a half million this year in revenue. And uh, it's just a privately held, just two, com- two partners, me and my, my friend Barrett. And uh, we have the goal every day of just building the best performing, highest converting, highest ranking web design projects we can and uh, it's mostly Chicago, but occasionally we do other sites. We did Cabot Cheese, which is uh, Vermont, closer to you. Um, but it's uh, that's the path. It was just a passion passion project without big plans for growth. But if you just obsess over it for long enough and be willing to not be a control freak, take off hats, delegate, hire management, um, you can you know uh, if you're in a good space and uh, you do it well, and as you know, publish. Uh, the best stuff you can, share your best advice, focus on uh, SEO, social, and email. Um, you will uh, enjoy organic growth and uh, ride a, a little bit of a rocket. And what's really impressive about you, and that I've always found super impressive, is that 
you have such a wide variety of skills. Like you understand web design very well. Like you can talk about statistically how many people click the drop down menus in the nav bar versus just the buttons. You can talk about content all day. You, you're very well versed in SEO. So it's hard to imagine you in a place where you didn't know these things. But who's someone that has taught you more about your craft, your profession, or, or life in general? Who's someone that's taught you more about these things than anyone else? Well, I've learned a lot from a lot of the names that you know and have mentioned and even talked to on this show. Uh, someone that maybe uh, I've learned specific tricks from specific people that I probably should give more credit to. Um, one of them is a guy named Russ Hennebury. No one really knows that. I mean, he's not a very well known guy, but Russ, um, uh, giving you a shout out here, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll tag you when we uh, share this show. Uh, Russ is a guy in St. Louis who works with Ryan Dice on digitalmarketer.com. And when he was a editor at Crazy Egg, uh, his posts taught me a lot. And this is like four or five years ago. Um, but then there's the usual suspects, guys like Barry, guys like Neil Patel, Anne Handley, who originally inspired me to get mm-hmm. a lot of us, you know, kind of um, went, read her book like five, six years ago and really got into it around that time. Uh, Christina Halverson is another one that I've read and loved and, and um, you know, from the book to the blog and the events. Uh, there's... So many, and when, one of the things you got to love about this, and we should all say it more, the industry is competing with itself to be the most generous. It's like a contest to see who can give away the most, <laughs> the most information. How amazing is that? So it's just gorgeous, like how it all works here, and like who can learn the best trick and share it with the most people. Who can give away the most secrets? You're right. Yeah, right. yeah, it's amazing, right? So um, the list is too long to name, but uh, I would put some of those at the top. You know, Anne Barry. Uh, Russ, um, along with uh, anybody at CMI, Content Marketing Institute, they gave me a lot of chances. Took a chance on me when I was an early, you know, when I was starting to speak, like four, you know, three or four years ago. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it's it's really gorgeous and really just amazing how many people are just willing to just share everything they can as often as they can. What drew you to content per se? Because like you know, you're at a web design strategy agency, you know, a background in IT and these things. What specifically drew you to have this fascination with content and writing? Great question. It wasn't even called content marketing or inbound marketing really at the time. It, it, so this is going back like seven or eight years. It came down to this. The, the buyer frequency and the sales cycle in my industry, web design, uh, the buyer frequency is like four or five years people go before redesigning their website completely. And the sales cycle is like three, four months sometimes before people decide who to hire to build their site. So with that in mind, I knew I needed email content because email was going to be my program to put people on autopilot and keep in touch with them during this super long buyer interval and during this long sales cycle. Therefore, I needed a a landing page for this and bring people back to the site. So the blog was just the landing page for the email marketing and I had three or 400 email addresses in the beginning. I produced content as a way to keep in touch with people in a sales cycle, uh, and it wasn't really even about anything else at the time. That's that was my that was my prime mover in the very beginning. So it came down to uh, the frequency was based on those those things: the uh, sales cycle length and the buyer interval. What would you say is the best advice on writing that you've ever received? Uh, I think that some of the best advice out there right now is a guy named Brian Dean. You probably know. Uh, he's making a really strong case and proving it with evidence that it's not about publishing frequency. Uh, it's really about quality of content multiplied by the quality of promotion. 
So the people who are winning right now are not the people who are publishing the most. Uh, they are the people who are publishing uh, good stuff and doing a great job of promotion. I, I, I really believe this. A good piece of content with great promotion will beat the crap out of a great piece of content with good promotion. So that guy publishes like once every month and a half, and he's crushing it on traffic. Backlinko, right? Isn't that the name of his, his website? Backlinko.com. Yeah, the, he, and he has brilliant stuff too. Really long posts, in-depth, mm-hmm. very thorough, but, but like you said, very good. And that's one of the things I love about you in Orbit. Like You guys don't post every day. But everything on the blog is stellar. So you scroll through there, everything is stellar. But you could easily drive more traffic, perhaps if you you know if your editorial picked up. So how do you navigate that terrain? So um, you know you could probably easily be like, all right, we're going to pump out more articles and you know share them in more places, and you have more opportunities to rank. How do you navigate that terrain? Yeah, I don't really have a John. You know, it's just us. It's me and Amanda. So it's about half of my time because I still do lots of sales support for the team, the strategy team out there selling websites. And uh, that's half my time. So I'm only, I'm only about a 50%, even less than 50% of my time is going toward marketing. Amanda runs the content program. She, she drives the social. She, she, you know, creates our events. So there really is a point of diminished, you won't hear this message very often in this world where people are just, you know, insatiable in the amount of traffic they want. But for us, there really is a point of diminishing returns on publishing more when the goal is simply to be dominant in one specific market. We're Chicago-based. I can't rank higher than number one for Chicago web design, Chicago web development, Chicago e-commerce. We're dominant for all of our key phrases. We've won the SEO game. We've got 10,000 plus subscribers. We, we are dominant in email. There isn't a company that comes close to that in our space in this, in this market. So really, I could probably... Uh, publish much more, drive much more traffic. But what are the incremental benefits from uh, a, a much? I mean, I'm not selling. I, can, I don't have a product that I can scale with and monetize uh, a you know a, a, a tripling in traffic. So really, we're a web design company. We sell the time of our team. We're, we sell time, and I only have this much time. We can't grow the team faster than a certain rate, or we t- we tip over the culture. So. I don't know what the upside would be of uh, a huge content marketing program. I, I'm interested in it just from an academic point of view, and like I love the challenge. And I would find you <laughs> and lure you in, or someone <laughs> like you to come to Chicago, someone like a Russ or a John, and uh, and just try to grow the top line and maximize a conversion rate on a product that would scale somehow. But as is, I don't know how we can really drive. I mean, what do you do with ten leads a day? You know, I mean, it's almost more than. If you do it well, you'll create more demand than you really need, and then you have the luxury of either raising your prices or growing every year. Beyond that, I don't really know what the point would be. Yeah, and you guys are very localized, so it's it helps that you guys are already dominating the market that you're serving. Um, mm-hmm. So, like you said, it it it, it comes a point where um, if you can close those leads and you can you know service these people. You know, like you said, the missed returns posting more isn't going to get you much else. What's going to get you twelve leads? Um, yeah. So yeah, but uh, and 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 what I love like is how cerebral you are with all this. Like, I don't know if there's another guy who's who's as uh, much of a student of content as you are. Like, you you have the survey. Um, your your book, Content Chemistry, is all about what you've learned throughout thousands of interviews and, and surveys and and all the data that you glean and you put this all together and and you make sense of it all. So what are, what are some of the most important lessons that you know you've learned? From from these thousands of interviews and surveys, which I'm sure you probably can't remember everything, but what are some of the most important things that you've learned from these about content, about publishing that maybe you know a lot of people listening might not know of, and 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 you surely probably didn't know before you learned it. 
Great marketers make decisions based on data and evidence. Rarely will you hear me or any pro marketer express an opinion. Everything can be tested and should be designed specifically to affect one of two numbers in your marketing, traffic or the conversion rate. Don't make decisions based on opinion and don't take any action that isn't specifically engineered to affect one of those two numbers. That's how you become a time-efficient marketer that doesn't just spin wheels and, and, and you know, try things without measurement. Uh, it's all, it all comes back to analytics, and the only three things a content marketer ever does is create something, promote it, and then measure the results. And that's, have you ever been in a conference room, you know, probably not at Orbit Media, but any, at any time in your career where people were saying things like, I think, I want, I know mm-hmm. this is going to work. How, how frustrating is that? I was in a meeting this morning. I was in a meeting this morning, and you know, a lot of people ask questions that start with, can we? They're talking to a web design company, so they say, can we do this? Can we do that? And the answer to every can question is yes, anything's possible. We have 13 in-house full-time programmers. We can do pretty much anything you can, you can imagine on the internet. Uh, but really, should we is a better question, and the answer to that question is in your, is in your analytics. So what would give us a better result in this metric or in that metric? Uh, to look at a site and understand, you know, some people just want to do stuff that's different. Like, we don't want a site that's like everyone else's. We just want a site that's different. So can we do something really weird? People want, like, right-side navigation or, like, very strange messaging or, uh, you know, they, they, don't, they don't want to conform to standard web conventions. They can't tell you what the benefit would be to make something that violates this, the you know, usability best practices, but they want it anyway just because they want differentiation. They believe that's some kind of marketing virtue. No, follow best practices. <laughs> Do it the right way. Uh, your visitors have certain expectations. You need to answer your visitors' top questions. Whoever does that best and fastest will win that visitor's uh, conversion. Uh, it really comes down to just, it's like baseball, right? Just follow, just make the fewest mistakes. That's how you win. And that's interesting. An, an analogy I've always used too to liken, you know, because obviously we've, we've all heard a lot of that from clients. Can we do this? We want to do this because it's different. We want this website to go against every conventional, you know, method mm-hmm. that's ever. And, it's, and I always use this analogy that, well, you know, in the United States, we drive on the right side of the road. What if mm-hmm. one day you decided to take it into your own hands and be like, you know, I want to do things a little differently. I'm going to drive on the left side of the road. Well, <laughs> it's going to end up pretty ugly for you and a lot of other people. So it's you have exactly. to you have to serve the market, right? If you were if you were in Ireland or if you're in the in the UK, you could drive on the left side of the road. That's how they that's how this so it's like you can have a lot of creativity within, you know, sort of the structure that's already working. Um, like iPhone, right? We're mm-hmm. used to swiping right through pictures. Mm-hmm. Do you want to make it so you have to swipe left? It, it, it's like it, it, we always have to to reel people in and be like, you know, you, there's certain things that people are so accustomed to that you just have to follow, otherwise it could turn out ugly. So, so yeah, yeah. And, and it's and it's that's usually when all that stuff comes up. Can we do this? And I like that. I always counter, can we? With sure, but should we? Right. Um, that's great. I love that. So when it comes to content, and you know, you put out a lot of stuff, the book, you know, a lot of articles, you guest blog in a lot of different places. What is your what does your writing process look like? So if we were hanging out above your shoulder, which would be kind of creepy, but if we were mm-hmm. in the office with you behind your desk while you were writing, like, what does that all look, feel, and sound like? Mm-hmm. Well, one thing that I'm doing is making decisions about what to publish based on what's worked in the past. 
I'm watching the analytics of every of every post and seeing uh, what my audience is connecting with. So I have iterated over time and focused on a few topics that people are looking for more often. They tend to be lately the really practical, either advanced analytics techniques or the advanced SEO t- techniques with an occasional uh, real practical how-to tool-based roundup or search or uh, social media um, tips. So I know, so I have hacked the process for uh, selecting topics based on what I know to be working. Now, a lot of what I do within that is I'm publishing things that have gotten to a critical mass in my collection process. So what great content marketers are constantly doing is gathering up examples of all these different things and storing them in some kind of Evernote or Google Doc repository so that you know, you're know you able to pub. You know, you, you can't just decide, hey, I want to I want to find the 10 best unsubscribe processes that you know, retain visitors and lower attrition at the highest rate. No, you can't just randomly come up with that and do it all at once. You're probably collecting examples of that a little bit over time until you get to where you've got you know, six or eight of them, and now you can search for and find and publish an article with 10. So great content marketers are collectors. We are curators of examples, and we are constantly listening. I've got 10 posts in the back of my mind right now. If I see something online that it, that it could contribute to any one of those 10, I'm putting it onto a list, and I'm going to wrap them all up in a bow when I get to that point, and they meet that minimum viable content level, right? And, I'm at the, and, uh, and they also fit within the framework of topics that I know to be getting traction right now. And where do your where do your ideas come from? I mean, I know you're very data driven, um, and your, your posts are always very in depth, a lot of examples, very prescriptive. So, where do your ideas generally come from? Well, I have the benefit of of this company here, where I'm doing all these meetings all the time, and people are constantly asking that question: Can I? You know, I'm I'm getting I'm very close to the market where people are asking us for advice every day. So, I can kind of, I have a sense for what people are focused on, what they're worried about, what they're hopeful for. And that drives a lot of it. Even my inbox, right? There's people just emailing me all the time. Should I do this? Can I do this? What about this? And after you answer a question three or four times, you're getting a clue there that you should probably publish on it. If you've answered the question in email, you might have already gotten a good start on that post, right? So here's a trick that is an old content marketing trick. Uh, there's Look in your sent mail folder, it's full of blog posts. It's full of half-written posts. Those are where you're already writing things on the topics your audience cares about. You're already writing things in the personal tone that your audience really likes. Uh, so a lot of it is just kind of responding to uh, and you know being close to people who are uh, you know constantly using you as a resource, uh, producing content every day. And that's a great and, and and I think the most important thing you said there is if you look in the sent inbox, it's in your personal tone. It's very. It's very human. It's it's written to one person, which the best blog posts always feel like they're written just for you. Mm-hmm. And I think that yeah, that's that's probably the best part of looking through your sent mail is, uh, you know, don't forget the tone of, yeah. of what you sent because that's that's just as important as the content itself. Yeah. So, so BCC yourself. Here's a trick. <laughs> this is what I do this every day. You know, if you write an article, if you write an, an email that is uh, really practical advice. Don't has it's even if it's just to one person. Don't hesitate to go bigger on it. Go longer. Put some screenshots in it. Answer that question as if you're going to repurpose that content later. BCC yourself when it comes back to you. Throw it in a folder, and now you've got a folder that's got growing blog posts in it. I love that. You you actually do that with with. I do it all the time. That's I all, do it all yeah. the time. That's great. Yeah. And yeah, how, how much does that would you say inform your you know the blog posts that end up getting published? Does a lot of that make it to some sort of uh, published post? Not as much as I would as I want. Uh, I'm looking at the folder now. There's uh, one July, you know, there's there's one from looks like about 
one to two per week. Um, what I might do is I need to go back here. I might just try to delegate this and or or use a use a helper to kind of organize this. But um, uh, what I've done before is I've written the same email twice and then realized I should just. You know, instead of writing it the third time, I'm going to grab one of the first ones and then add to it. People ask me that again. I'm grabbing the the expanded version and adding to that. There's a post that I wrote. I got a lot of questions when Google announced they were using HTTPS and security as a search ranking factor. Uh, I got like five emails within three days, and each one I just added more and more to the previous one. Basically, I had a post when it was done and just published it. That's great. I love that. I'm going to start doing that. that that's, a, that's a really good idea. That's, that's one of those things you, you kick yourself and be like, why wasn't I doing that before? You're full of those, Andy. Seriously, I feel like every time we talk, you always have a few of those. And I'm like, yep, I'm going to start doing that. It's not, <laughs> that, that's, uh, that, one, that might be one of the very best because the topics are qualified. The writing's partly done. You know, it, it answers a lot of questions about what to do and how to do it. And I don't have time. Uh, your audience is telling you what they want. You're already giving it to them. You know, the uh, social media marketers would put it this way. Never waste a good conversation by having it in private. That email you wrote only benefits one person. Get it out of your inbox. Put it on your blog. Now it's benefiting hundreds of people. I love that. No, it never waste a, a blog post or a conversation That's by keeping it private. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the hardest part of writing for you? Oh, I used to have a surplus of content that I would use. And, and, and we were just talking about this um, before we hit the record button, we've got personal lives. I just got married. Uh, you've got a baby on the way. You know, we have <laughs> lives, right? So the tough part is to balance the work-life thing because blogging is almost more of a lifestyle than a job. The survey shows this. People blog from all over the place in different locations. People blog all times a day. You know, there's no there's no lines drawn around this task that we have for ourselves. Like I said, we're curators. We're thinking of content ideas all the time. We're gathering up more stuff all the time. So the tough part is to. Uh, balance out this part of our jobs with the uh, the lives we want to live and to keep from working all the time. Like you're going to be working from home here shortly. The trick there is to not make it so that you're living at work, right? People who work from home live at work. <laughs> so it's really... The, quite literally, yeah. <laughs> quite literally. It's a, it's a lifestyle trick a little bit to turn off, um, to balance it out, and uh, to do this in a way that keeps my uh, production levels high enough where I don't just have content for my own site, but I'm also doing some guest blogging. Yeah, and I think uh, the thing about the people who do this really, really well in content and publishing and marketing in general is that they're not doing it because it's part of the job description. Um, you know, they're doing it because they have something to share, or they're they're part of this, like you mentioned earlier. Who can be the most generous? Uh, how how can I share all the secrets that I have? And so that always, and if and if you're part of the quality argument, you know, and and you're not just you know pushing out posts just to hit traffic, arbitrary traffic numbers, and, you, and you're really shooting for quality, that doesn't always hit you between eight and five. You know, that might be something you have an idea at night, your moleskin's out, or, you're, or you have a, an iPad or Evernote on your phone, and you might have an idea that just, that just strikes you. It's kind of like being a songwriter, I guess, except nowhere yep. near as glamorous, right? 40, according to the, the survey from last year, and we're updating this data now, 48% of bloggers blog at night. And uh, as far as location, 81% of bloggers blog at home. Wow. So this is not blogging is definitely not a job it's a lifestyle. If if you were to start and I ask a lot of people this because there's so many platforms right now. We're talking we're on a podcast. This could have easily been a blog post. It could double uh, mm-hmm. as both. There's so many different platforms right now, but you know, most companies, a lot of people who are listening might be part of companies or solo ventures right now. They obviously have limited resources. You just mentioned you do as well. So if you were starting a new venture right now with limited resources, where would you put your emotional labor as it relates to content? Oh, I think that there's 
two main buckets, and it and the mix depends on whether or not you're you're B two B or B two C or what kind of industry you're in. Uh, it is we have to create stuff, and we have to build our networks. You know, I think that SEO and social media influencer marketing are bo- are both two of the f- best ways to grow traffic and grow an audience. And both of those are based on relationships and networking. So we have to always dedicate a little bit of time to networking and not using social media to dump links, but use social media to build relationships and make connections and make friends. The other area is to also produce the best stuff we can. So if you can balance those two things somehow, probably the balance will skew more toward in, toward networking if you're B2B or you know, kind of a low volume of high value transactions like web design. And the and the um and it skews more toward uh the other direction if you're B2C and you're doing a high volume of lower value transactions like selling t-shirts or or widgets. But uh but basically we all need to be networking um and building relationships and building our relevance within a community all the time. And we all need to be publishing our best advice on some kind of frequency that is consistent. Uh uh, again and again. So those, you know, we have we're we're always kind of um, doing those two things. Uh, I get nervous and uncomfortable if I'm not doing those two things consistently, uh, because I feel like I'm going to be you know hurting myself and and I'll I'll feel the pain with lower traffic, lower conversions, um, you know, a month or a year down the road. Absolutely, and and I want to get your thoughts on a few age-old arguments, it seems, as it relates to content. So I just want to rattle them off, and I want to get your, you know, your thoughts on these. So mm-hmm. the first one is obvious. We've kind of talked about this at length already, but quality versus quantity. This, is, this, this seems like they're both exclusive or exclusive of each other. What are your thoughts on the quality versus quantity debate? Quantity is not a real, doesn't correlate very highly with success. Quality does, but not just quality on the content. It's the quality of the promotion. Yeah, and that's always the tricky part is the distribution. So, what what kind of what kind of things have you seen work not only for you but um, you know, and and a lot of your travels and what you've seen other companies doing because I think that's the biggest area that you know everybody it seems is blogging now, right? Or or mm-hmm. most companies now whether they're doing it well or not is is a whole different argument. But let's assume that a large percentage are doing it well and they have great content, but nobody's finding it. What are some what are some things that they need to look at right now as far as distribution is concerned and, and promoting it and getting it out there? Mm-hmm. Well, when I teach content marketing, I, I break it down to just the three main channels, although people might disagree with this or add things to it. I think there's search, there's social, and there's email. When it comes to search, what people need to understand better, and most people kind of get but not fully, is how to evaluate the competition for a phrase. It's not just how many people are searching for it, but what is your likelihood of actually ranking for that phrase. So understanding domain authority and link popularity is a big one there. Social what we need to be doing is using, like I said, you know, networking and making friends and using social media like a phone and not just the dumping ground for links. So uh, if, you are, if you're building connections with people that already have a good audience that you want to borrow sometimes and that you want them to share some of your stuff, you need to be becoming friends with them gradually over time. So I believe in influencer marketing and networking. For email, what a lot of people miss is the conversion rate optimization for their, sub, for their sign-up forms. Uh, you don't have to use a pop-up box, a, a light box, to get great um, subscribe rates. Uh, but your, however you do it, your email subscription box should be uh, should have proof that other people have signed up. Right, give some evidence and social proof. Should make a promise. What kind of content are they going to get, and how often are they going to get it? And it should be very prominent. Maybe a light box, or maybe just a, a using color to draw the attention toward that. A good email sign-up box has prominence, promise, and proof, and those are my three top tips for those three main channels, search, social, and email. 
uh, keyword research, influencer marketing, and conversion rate optimization on your sign-up form. And, and take it from Andy, he knows his stuff. Anytime he puts out a new post, it's, it's, it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. I, I, if, if, I, if I don't get it from an email from you, Andy, I always usually see it somewhere else and I'm like, and it's from, it's not, and it's never, I never see it from you on Twitter. It's from some other influencer or, or some other channel <laughs> that shares your stuff. And I'm like, yeah, there it goes again. So it's, uh, it, it's, oh, thanks. <laughs> it, it certainly yeah, works. Sometimes. Um, another age old argument short versus long form content. And what I mean by that is blog posts. Everybody sort of, assumes that readership drops when posts go beyond whatever 500 words people have short attention spans um, but do they really what, what is your what is your take on the short versus long form well there's not a strict answer to this because there's there's rock stars out there that break this rule but generally speaking longer form content is going to get better results it doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to read every word in fact people are definitely not going to read every word uh, the length is uh, longer posts get shared more they get linked to more there's a lot of data that shows that you know the average high ranking page on Google has 1500 to 2000 words so if you're serious about SEO your goal is to write the best page on the internet for that topic wikipedia style so you're going big uh, but beyond that I think what what's more important than length is formatting and what a lot of people miss is that they need to really build up their posts in terms of headers and subheaders and bullet lists and bolding and internal linking and multiple images. People who are great at this now are putting more time and effort into the visual aspects of a post. And it might be 500 words, it might be 5,000 words, but whatever it is, at any given scroll depth, no matter how far down you've scrolled down this post, there probably should be something of visual interest. Look at how Social Media Examiner does it. They never post anything that you, get, you can scroll down to a point at which it's a wall of text. No matter how far down you scroll, there's always an image there. I think that's a way to keep people on the page and to keep and to make sharing just much more likely to happen. Uh, so I think that it's it's a uh, I'm leaning toward and I'm a huge advocate of long form, thorough, best in class content. Be the best answer on the internet, but almost more important, formatting. Yeah, and also Copy Blogger does this really well. Embrace white space. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't think they ever have more than three sentences in a paragraph, so you're never seeing this very dense sort of yeah. area of content and it's less intimidating to read it's easier to get through and obviously people are more like it feels shorter so I agree. Uh, yeah it's a some I, people I, yeah some people like sonia simone and damian farnworth they're very creative with the white space and it just it tells a better story mm -hmm. look at backlinko it, that guy does a lot of um single line paragraphs uh single word sentences uh if there's a general rule it, it might not be sentences it might be the number of lines never write a paragraph longer than three maybe four lines at most I think uh, he's not even considered a big marketing guy, but uh, Jason Freed from Basecamp, founder of Basecamp, and he's a uh, ink contributor and, a, and a, a book author. He puts it this way: short paragraphs get read, long paragraphs get skimmed, very long paragraphs get skipped. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. So, yeah, and it's so it doesn't even matter what your preference is as the writer. If you're writing f for the reader, yeah, you should you should keep them shorter. Yep. Um, Another one, how long does it take you to write a great blog post? Because a lot of people who work for organizations that are trying to play the volume game, obviously they're trying to pump out a volume, they're keeping them short. It doesn't take long to write a great blog post, but it does, right? It does, and, uh, and great content marketers have a big pile of half-finished blog posts that they're gradually writing, uh, writing for. It's, it's, uh, this is also revealed in the survey, and uh, the data is pretty interesting. It looks like this. Um, more than half of all bloggers spend uh, two hours or less. That's 50 plus percent. But there's a small percentage, 5% of bloggers are spending more than six hours. 
So it's really uh, there's a there's a small percentage of us that are that are going big and writing things that are, uh, you know, fifteen hundred, two thousand words long, five, ten images. We're adding video to posts. You know, we're doing a lot. You know, you're upgrading the format like you're doing now here with podcasting, and and creating content that is just uh, deeper and bigger and going farther, even if it means publishing at a lower frequency. Um, that's content that will be evergreen. That will get you better traction in the long run. It's more likely to be relevant and shareworthy six months or a year from now. But uh, but no, I don't think that. Um, I think a good way to differentiate yourself is to just put more energy and time into posts, whether it's spread out over months because you're curating a nice long list or roundup, or uh, just keep researching and keep working on that on that uh, quality until you have made what should be the best piece of content on the internet for that topic. Absolutely. And so these, so these last few I want to get through here are more personal to sort of your, your process. So, you know, you're a creative guy, you write a lot of content, you, you, you're, you're very active and speaking. Where do you extract inspiration from? Boy, it's from reading. I mean, good writers have spent a lot of time reading. So uh, I get up in the morning and I have, I go through Feedly, I go through my inbox, I still subscribe to a few things. Uh, I'm reading as much as I can on these topics. I'm also listening to podcasts now more than ever. Um, so I think that uh, what you're doing now is a great move. I think there's only two formats of content for which um, uh, demand exceeds supply, and that's live events and podcasts. I think that there's still so many people out there that are looking for that content that they're growing fast. Blogs, there's way more blogs than there are people who want to read blogs. Um, but yeah, I get inspiration basically from other writers and, uh, and by having a lot of these topics in the back of my mind uh, throughout the day. Um, it's just kind of staying, uh, keeping the machine turned on. What, uh, any great blogs you want to name that, that people should check out? Oh, there's a long list. I think that... Uh, so what's in your Feedly, I guess? What's in your, like, your must-see in your Feedly? Sure. Uh, I love the writing of Mark Schaefer. Uh, I love the tricks you'll find on uh, Kissmetrics. Uh, he's not... A regu- he's, he's a little bit inconsistent, but you're going to learn some of the best stuff you've ever learned about analytics from Avinash. That's uh, Kaushik, K-A-U-S-H-I-K.net, Avinash Kaushik, who writes Ocom's Razor. Fantastic analytics blog. Uh, there's some niche bloggers. If you're learning about Google Tag Manager, there's a guy named Sima, uh, Simo Ahava. Simo is writing amazing posts all the time about uh, how to use Google Tag Manager. Uh, the old standbys are Social Media Examiner, Content Marketing Institute, and HubSpot. Those are three that are really good. Uh, those plus, you know, maybe Marketing Profs and Top Rank Blog. Those are some of the most uh, consistent quality that you'll find all the time. You know, worth worth staying on the list or worth putting them at the top of Feedly. But um, I don't know. It's uh, it, it's all kinds of stuff, and um, I think that the, the work you did at Impact is amazing. Uh, John, I recommend your content. <laughs> Thanks, Andy. I, I appreciate that. Uh, what about books? I know I'm, I myself, I can't get enough. And I know a lot of people, like you just said, a lot of the, the best marketers are big readers. So what's like the last few great books that you've read or are reading that, that people should check out? Boy, I read general business books a lot beyond just uh, marketing books. Uh, I like to read uh, CEO biographies. And uh, there's, there's a lot of good ones out there. Um, as far as service goes, Delivering Happiness by Tony Shea, the Zappos founder. That one's really, really good. Um, Marketing books, uh, this has been recommended a million times, but I'm really impressed with what Anne did with uh, Everybody Writes because she tackled a topic that I never even tried to touch, which is how to teach people to actually produce good content. You know, I teach a lot of the tactics that go around the content, but she's, uh, that's like a, reading that book is like a writing school. Um, There's a, 
I think that it's hit or miss, actually, though, with books. And I'm not going to name names, but there's a lot of books out there that are really just piles of kind of loosely connected case studies um, that I don't recommend. Even some books by well-known or famous authors, uh, they're not necessarily practical, actionable, tactical stuff. Um, I don't learn as much by, lear- by, by seeing what Fortune 500s are doing. They live on a different planet. <laughs> I'm not gonna, I want to find the actionable tips that I can use immediately that will move the needle for me either with traffic or conversions. And so are you, are you an iPhone guy, Android guy? What kind of smartphone do you have? I'm an Apple user for my laptop, but I'm an Android user. I've got an HTC phone, which uh, I like a lot. So, you know, I think there's a lot that could be said about people based off the apps that they have right, right on their home screen. So uh, what, do you, what are the apps that you're using a lot? What's on your home screen on your phone? <laughs> That's a fun question. Uh, I've got, starting from the top, Twitter, Analytics, uh, Google Plus Hangouts, because that's like a chat tool. Uh, Quora is an app that's a great, that's a great con- one, yeah. content discovery tool, uh, plus the basics like, uh, like email, calendar, maps, and uh, you know, Instagram. Um, so yeah, for, uh, I, I recommend Flipboard and Quora for content discovery. But right underneath my thumb is analytics, and I watch my analytics. Um, it's one of the com- the first places I look if I'm, uh, you know, kind of want to see what's happening with my site. Um, it's a Android and iPhone app that uh, probably should be on everybody's phone. Yeah, Cora too is so great, and that's one of those things that when you tell people about it, like Cora, that's that's a thing or that's still a thing. Cora is so great, like Huge. you said, for for discovering content. You just type in a question or type in you know content marketing or um, you know search engine optimization help, and people are asking a ton of questions and even following the threads, the 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 content that people are coming up. It's it's all right there for you to address both in the thread itself and then take it and and sort of create your own content in your own backyard on your website and your own domain and it's oh my god it's such a great tool i'm so glad you said that one because core i don't find a lot of people that have that and i have it on my phone i look at it all the time core is amazing it's a uh, if, if you're trying to create a piece of content you can find people in core to collaborate with uh you can find topics that are getting the most traction uh if you published a good piece of content on your site you can you can uh publish a compliment to it on Quora is an answer to someone else's question. Uh, here's a content tip that I've taught before and that some of your audience maybe um, uh, hasn't tried yet. Publish the evil twin of a post. So if you wrote the best practices for X, Y, or Z, write the biggest mistakes for that same topic as the evil twin. It's like holding a mirror up to something that you wrote that got some traction. And then put that out there, either the guest post or uh, you know, an answer to a question on a, on a QA site like Quora. But... Um, but it's a good way to kind of ethically spin content, give it a different angle. Um, and uh, Quora is a place where I've done that a bit. It's kind of fun. I love that. The, publish the evil twin. That's a good one. You're full of one-liners, Andy. You really are. You know that, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> a lot of these are just things I've talked about a lot. And, and uh, good marketers actually will create a tactic and then name it. Yep. Um, I think uh, Brian Dean, we mentioned, is famous for the skyscraper technique. Yep. I'm actually, and here's an example of a post that I'm trying to write. It's in the back of my mind. If you know of any marketing tactics that have names, please share them with me. I'm trying to do a big roundup of, of, of uh, great marketing tactics that have names. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and how could be, that was going to be my next question. Where can people connect with you and learn more about Andy Crestodina? My last name is my Twitter handle, at Crestodina, C-R-E-S-T, 
O-D-I-N-A, just like it sounds. Um, but it's orbitmedia.com. The, the blog is there. Uh, you can find the book. The book is actually everywhere, Content Chemistry. It's kind of a roundup of all, it's like the greatest hits. You can find it on Amazon or anywhere. Um, almost all of my best advice can be found in that book. Highly recommended, folks, as well as the survey. Um, so we'll bring that up one more time. The link is in the show notes uh, for anybody who wants to to go and take that really, really quick 11-question 11, uh, 11 uh, survey to, to help our pal Andy out here and uh, get him up to 1,000 respondents so we can all sort of learn from this data. And it's, I, I saw it last year, and it's, it's huge. It's huge. So, so you all should definitely go check that out. Um, anything else, Andy, you'd want to add before we, before we part ways here? No, but thanks for uh, a great conversation. It's always interesting. You are a true pro at this. I could easily produce a piece of content analyzing and breaking down your approach to podcasting. Uh, John, you just keep getting better. <laughs> thanks, Andy. I appreciate that. Uh, it's always a lot of fun chatting with you too. You're one of the you're one of the great ones. I think there's only you said this to me. I think the first time we ever talked, and it's weird. I guess the stuff I remember, but I'm going to say it back to you now. I think there's only a handful of people out there like you, and and it really oh. is. And um, yeah, you're one of the the people that I check out every single time you you tweet, post, blog, um, and everyone here should do the same. Andy's Andy's one of the great ones. Thanks for that, John. And uh, and once again, congrats on all the recent life changes. Uh, it's uh, it's so exciting for you. I can't wait to see the update. Yeah, I could do a whole separate podcast on that, right? And uh, just myself. But uh, we'll we'll leave all that for the chatter on on Twitter. If you guys want to <laughs> reach out, I'd be happy to to chat with you all one on one. But yeah, professional, personal, all great things. So I appreciate the kind words, Andy. And thank you for coming on louder than words. This was a lot of fun. My pleasure. And for everyone else listening, if you enjoyed this episode, first, go follow Andy, take the survey, and do all that fun stuff. But then like, share, favorite, all those good things. Uh, recommend, write a review. Uh, these things get a ton of listens. So if I could get a couple reviews, or that, that does a huge a huge job of, of bringing this out to, to more people through iTunes, and I'd be greatly appreciative. Um, but other than that, thank you for coming, and we'll see you next time. So long, everyone.